You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. That's an excerpt from a, a film that was put together by some members of our church called The Cross. It's now on YouTube if you want to watch it there. It was filmed maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Um, Steve Marici is actually in it, so you can watch that film and look for Steve Marici. Uh, yeah, he has a very important role. But uh, I just love that. That's my favorite resurrection scene of any movie, and uh, I'm trying to hold it together because it just always gets me. Um, come on just love the emotion of it. And, uh, you know, the resurrection is, is one of those events that changes everything. And, uh, okay, I'm going to lighten it up here. There was a moment when I was a kid where my whole world changed. Uh, my mind was blown. My whole worldview became different. And that was when I was in the movie theater and uh, uh, Darth Vader was talking to Luke on this uh, catwalk. And he said, I am your father. And Luke was like, no, it's impossible. And I was in the theater going, no, it's impossible. Uh, my whole worldview was changed from that point on. And I hope I didn't spoil anything for anybody. It's been quite a while. If you don't know that by now, uh, you're, you're, you don't know your Star Wars, I guess. But uh, I know I'm being a little silly, but uh, many of us have experienced some kind of life-changing event, some kind of uh, revelation or, uh, or interaction that, like, everything was different from that point on. Your, our whole world was changed. I mean, there are some in our fellowship who've had near-death experiences, who've been literally dead and then resuscitated back to life uh, through CPR uh, or through, you know, some procedure, in the, you know, when they were in, in the hospital, uh, I know I have a friend who was 
halfway to Catalina and his, his boat sank and he was in the water for hours and getting hypothermia and about to die right before he was rescued. You know, things like that change your world. Uh, it could be other things, uh, even, um, you know, hard things or good things, marriage, uh, birth of a, of a child. There's just things that change our whole life where nothing will ever be the same. And the resurrection is a way, way bigger deal than any of those things. Uh, for his early followers, for the um, early disciples, you know, the whole, everything became different at that point. Um, and, uh, and for all of us, for all of human history, you know, we're talking about physical reality itself. Uh, our understanding of physical reality itself changed at that, at that time. We're talking about the future of humanity. We're talking about the power of sin and death. These are huge, eternal, uh, significant things. Uh, much more than a big rock was rolled away uh, on Easter. It was the power of death itself was rolled back in that moment. And so we're starting a series today called After Easter, a short series. It's going to be me this week, Tim Sutherland next week, and then the week after that we're going to hear some personal stories of resurrection and transformation. But the physical reality of Jesus appearing to his followers changed everything and it upset all of their expectations. Grief was replaced by hope, cowardice was replaced by incredible courage and boldness, uh, their, their fears were replaced by faith. And uh, for us, what about us? What now? Living in a post-resurrection reality, what does that mean for us? And what does it mean for our world as followers today, Christ followers today, 2,000 years after the resurrection, what does this mean for us? And uh, I want to uh, start by looking at the book of Acts. So if, you're, uh, if you've got your Bible or your phone there, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. We'll start right there in the beginning of Acts. And as we're turning there, let's pray as we open God's word together. God, we just want to pray that you'd open our eyes right now to uh, the reality that you see, uh, Father, uh, post-resurrection. I pray that we can gain your perspective on our own lives and on the world and on just, uh, you know, gain a, a deeper view. I know we get so caught up in the mundane or so caught up in the here and now or the little things that trouble us. God, I pray that you put our, our trust in you as we open your scriptures. I pray that just like the early uh, Christians, Jesus' initial uh, band of, of disciples needed to have their view shifted, God, we need to have our view shifted, and we need to be led by you and led by your Spirit, and I pray that you would lead us and guide us. Pray for those who are studying the Bible right now, God, who haven't yet made Jesus Lord of their life. I pray that uh, just even our time in the Bible here would inspire them to take that step to become a disciple, to get baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray for the needs in our church. I pray for Clay's father and uh, the situation with his stomach. I pray that they would be able to figure out what's going on there, and I pray for complete healing. I pray for Celie's uh, uh, dad. I pray for Rosie's mom. I pray for Dessa's mom as she has surgery coming up uh, here a week from Wednesday. God, I really pray that you would protect her. I pray that she would have a successful surgery. And uh, for all the other needs that you are aware of in our body of believers, God, I, I pray that uh, your spirit would be at work in those uh, and we can be there for each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so reading in Acts 1, Luke is writing this. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and Acts is kind of like Luke part 2. These are meant to be companion books or even one book um, in, in the way that we look at them, kind of part 1 and part 2. In my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we're going to kind of go piece by piece through this text. We're not going to get everything there is to get out of this passage, but a few things that I think uh, will help us as we talk about after Easter. This is after Easter. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So it says, verse 3, after his suffering, he presented to them to them and presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. So number one, resurrection was a reality. It was real. It was physical. It wasn't just like they saw somebody who might look like Jesus. Or I might have seen, you know, uh, I, I kind of saw a flash of something. Or, you know, I might have seen a spirit. Those, are, those kinds of things were common in the ancient world. This was something new and unprecedented. A person, you know, back that's now with them, and, but then he's not with them. And then he's with them and he's eating with them, it says even here in, in one uh, passage. And there's other... Um, other instances of him even eating with them, you know, or, or physically putting their hands in, his, in the holes in his wrists. You know, he was physically alive. There was two facts that complemented each other. Number one, there was an empty tomb, uh, you know, and there was so much that the Spirit allowed so that it gave proof of the resurrection. If Jesus had been, married, had been buried in just the general kind of poor man's uh, burial ground, it, it wouldn't have had the... the 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 uh, the proof that he was buried in this rich man's tomb with this big stone and the guard posted guard meaning a a, a, po a several guards like a, a cohort of guards um, so the tomb was empty and uh, then this number two there was the appearances uh, to his followers you know if if it had been just the empty tomb then they could have said oh the apostles stole the body and that's that's what did happen but then he, they he appeared to the apostles if it was just he appeared to the apostles and you didn't have the empty tomb then you could say well you're not really you just saw a ghost well no the tomb is empty so the, both of those things help give credence to this fact that jesus actually rose from the dead not and, and not not just resuscitated i mean there's people in the bible that came back to life he was risen, transformed into this new kind of man, a new kind of being, a new physical resurrected being. This is not something that they believed in or, 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 or even were expecting. Uh, the resurrection was something that in, in the Second Temple period, this period between the Testaments, there was a lot of talk about and there was debate about, you know, for example, the Pharisees believed in a resurrection, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, but this was something way in the future. This is in the judgment time that that there was would be a resurrection no one was expecting a resurrection right here in the middle of human history you know and uh there's a quote i want to read if you want to study more about this a great book on this is nt it's by nt Wright called surprised by hope uh, it's a very big book it's like that thick um but it's it's scholarly in that it's full of footnotes and a lot of research 
but it's it's approachable. He, he's easy to read. If you if you like to read C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright is like the new C.S. Lewis. He's a great writer and 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 very interesting to read. But I want to read one quote. It says the challenge is in fact the challenge of a new creation. This is N.T. Wright speaking. To put it at its most basic, the resurrection of Jesus offers itself to the student of history or science no less than to the Christian or theologian, not as an odd event within the world as it is, but as the utterly characteristic, prototypical, and foundational event within the world as it has begun to be. It is not an absurd event within the old world, but the symbol and starting point of the new world. That's pretty deep text, but what he's saying is this isn't just a miracle within our frame of uh, uh, physical reality. This is a new reality. This is kind of the, the beginning of a new creation. The Bible says God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, a new reality. You know, if, if you study science, reality as we know it is a miracle anyway. The fact that there's a material universe is a miracle. They call it uh, the fine-tuned universe. And that's why they, you know, they will even say things like all oh, the math uh, suggests a multiverse. And the multiverse is something you hear about, a lot about nowadays. The, the, the all idea of the multiverse just comes from the fact that the, the universe is so fine-tuned for there to be any matter at all that as far as all these parameters of, of our physical, the physics, you know, our physical reality are so fine-tuned, they go, there's no way that could possibly just happen. So there must be an infinite number of universes, and we happen to be in the universe that allows us to have stars and galaxies and reality and all that, you know, this physical matter that we have. Um, it's a miracle that there's a reality at all. And then life itself is a miracle. The, the, the fact that life is built on computer code, basically, that's in your body, the DNA code that uh, is instructions for building proteins and making you. It's incredible. The more you study that, it's a miracle. It's amazing. It just shows the fingerprint of God. So if the God who made the universe and the God who created life, isn't he able to create a new kind of life? Isn't he create, able to create a new kind of reality? It's funny that we, 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 we're in this world that's amazing, and yet it's so hard for us to believe in a new reality. Why? Because we just know this one so well. And, and the thing is, is this wasn't, uh, this, I think a, a lot of times people will say, and especially for young, younger people, oh, they weren't that sophisticated back then. You know, they, they, they were willing to understand, you know, believe this resurrection. But we want to figure out some way to explain it nowadays it was maybe they just saw this or maybe they, people are always trying to explain away the resurrection here's the thing it was just as weird back then it's not like people rose from the dead back then right uh in fact the the people in the first century were probably more accustomed to dealing with death interacting with death than you or i are death is very separated from us if someone dies the you know the they're called they're, they're put to went to the coroner's office and the morgue and we're sep very separated from death but in the first century people would die you know the body is still there in the home for a while and they they had all kinds of traditions and dealing with bodies and so so the fact that this person came back and as a new man a new body Boy, that was a weird and crazy and wild thing for them, just as much as it would be for us. So I think that's why it says he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, even though he's right there, he had to convince them, okay, I'm eating food now. Do you believe now? You know, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a wild and crazy thing, but 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 it it meant everything is now different. 
It meant everything is now different. Number two, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. He's speaking to them. It says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. This is the subject of his of his discussion these last 40 days he's spending with them. He keeps talking about it. It was really the point of a lot of his stories, wasn't it? So many of his stories are the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Trying to give them analogies. Trying to help them understand this upside down value system of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not what we expect. You can tell from their question. It says in, in verse 6, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were expecting a physical kingdom, a restoration of the kingdom that David ruled on, where you know they had this great army that was very effective against their enemies. God was blessing them and and it was a great society. They were, that's what they still, you can tell from their question, were expecting something different than the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Uh, and, and, and so this is something that we still have to wrestle with because we have different kinds of expectations of what God's kingdom should look like. We have different kinds of expectations of what God's interaction in our lives should be or how God should guide us or what the future should look like. I mean, right now when we're in this pandemic, right, as we're coming out of the pandemic, there's a lot of hope uh, for, for them. Here's Jesus resurrected from the dead. Okay, there's so much hope. So what, what's next? That's in their mind. What's next? What's this going to look like? Who's going to have what role? What part are these apostles going to play? Who's going to have what position of authority? Uh, what's happening with the Romans? You know, what's what, what do we do about about the king of Israel now, you know, how's all this going to work? That's what's on their minds. And, uh, you know, for us right now, we're in an unprecedented times. How many times have you heard that word, unprecedented, you know, this last year? And we can have a lot that we don't know. What's what's this going to look like? What's church going to look like? What's my job going to look like? What's our, our country going to look like? There's so many things that we can wonder about. And Jesus' answer, I think, is so interesting. He doesn't thoroughly explain how it's all going to work. He doesn't explain the concept of the kingdom thoroughly and how, uh, you know, they're go going to, you know, as you see it played out in the book of Acts, he doesn't explain all that. He just says in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That times or dates, uh, it can be translated like epoch, epoch or uh, ages or like, it, it doesn't mean just like, Wednesday or Tuesday or you know it means like these 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 big monumental movements of of humankind that kind of thing he's saying you know there's things that God knows that you just don't know and even Jesus himself in his human form there's things he didn't know like for example when he would return he says that's not been revealed to me but only by my father only my father knows this timing and so there's just things that God knows that we don't know right uh, you know, I, I think think about this time a year ago, or a little bit more than this time a year ago. If I think about like February, if, if I was going to talk to you about our plans, they would have been very different than things ended up being. You know, if I was thinking about Marshall's plans for graduation, if I was praying and talking to God about, oh, this party we want to have for Marshall for his graduation, you know, what would God, God be would like, well, you have no idea what's coming. You know, you have no idea how things are going to work out. But but what is what does Jesus answer? He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be witnesses. So, so number three, we will get the Spirit. God prov uh, provides the Spirit's power in our lives. 
So God's kingdom is not what's expected. The resurrection is reality, number one. Number two, God's kingdom is not always what we expect. But number three, we are given the Spirit to guide us. We're given the Spirit's power to, to embolden and empower us. The Spirit is the one that becomes the, the main character through the rest of the book of Acts. It's Him that's working behind the scenes. It's Him that's making all the, the arrangements, c- connecting the church. It's the Spirit that leads uh, Philip in the desert to talk to the Ethiopian who then uh, you know, goes back to Egypt and quite possibly uh, started the whole movement of... There was a huge Christian movement in, in Africa that we don't even know where it came from. Uh, in the first century, there, you know, God was moving behind the scenes. There was all kinds of Christians in Rome before Paul ever went there. We don't even know how that they got there. There's a lot that the Spirit did that's not even in Acts, but from the rest of the Book of Acts, we see wow, the Spirit was the one. The Spirit was the one doing all the work. Um, and Jesus promised this. He said, "You've heard me speak about it. I've been talking to you about this." He said, "I'm going to have to go away, but it's going to be better for you that I do go away." because the Holy Spirit will guide you, and and you'll be able to do even greater things than I've been doing, John 14. So for us today, there's kind of two categories. There's things for God to know, and there's things for us to know, right? What what is it for God to know? The times, the seasons, the empires, the kingdoms, the paths of human culture, the, you know, presidents and kings and all this stuff. I'm not saying we don't wonder about those things, or we certainly are asked to pray about those things, but, but we don't have to, uh, our faith doesn't depend on those things. Uh, we don't, there's just things that we don't know what's going to happen. We, even the purposes of, of men's hearts and people's uh, intentions or their motives or, you know, the final judgment, what God's going to do, you know, that's up to God, right? What, what is it for me to know? It's for me to know that God is in control, that God's timing is, is his timing, it's for me to know that his power is perfect and his power is made available to me. Uh, I just got to connect to him. He is the source, uh, needs to be the source of my meaning and, and of my power. And what else do I need to know? I need to know, uh, or it's for me to know my own testimony, my own experience as a Christ follower, my own experience of, of, of the resurrection myself and how, what it's meant for me and for my life. So that's why he says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. So the Spirit enables us to be a witness. So here's it boiling down. What does after Easter mean? For me, after Easter means Spirit-filled speaking. After Easter means Spirit-filled speaking. Spirit-filled speaking. It's kind of hard to say. But basically, the Spirit is what gives us uh, the power to speak. His power helps us preach. Uh, Before Easter, as I said, the disciples were scattered. They were afraid. Peter is so scared that uh, a a servant girl is the one that causes him to deny his faith, right? Not to say that servant girls can't be scary. Maybe she was a particularly scary servant girl. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, but you know, he was just, but he was so fragile in his face, so, so fearful. And yet in the book of Acts, you see him preaching powerful. You see him standing up against the authorities of his, uh, of his time to, to, to stand faithfully for the truth as a witness, right? As a witness of what he had seen and heard. At one point they say, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And he said, we can't help speaking of what we've seen and heard. Judge for yourself. Should we obey you or should we obey God? God has told us to say what we've seen and heard, and we've got we've to talk about it. We can't keep our mouths shut. He's transformed by the Spirit 
in his life. Uh, you know, what are we preaching anyway? What are we witnesses to anyway? It's not ourselves. No, it's Jesus, right? It's his resurrection. It's his authority. So as the Spirit emboldens us, you know, it, it helps us have courage. It helps us have faith. It helps us to, to know that it's not about us, right? It's about God. It's about his work in the world. Um, if you think about being a witness in a trial or something, what are you asked to, to, to know? What are you asked to testify to? Just your own experience. What did you see? What did you hear? What, did, what, what was your experience? I, I was a juror in a trial and heard, heard from many, many witnesses. And it was interesting. I, I, was, uh, I took it, you know, you can't read something or you can't, you know, you got to kind of stay engaged. So my way of staying engaged was I would do a sketch of each witness. So I have the sketchbook with, with all these illustrations. And uh, I talked to the lawyers after the fact. They were like, we, we thought you were just taking furious notes, you know, on every single witness. Man, this guy's really paying attention because they really watch what the, what the jurors are doing. And then, and then I showed them my sketches and they were like, oh, I love those and whatever. So then they, they, I think they kind of guessed that that's what I was doing. But anyways... Uh, you know, and, and a lot of us might be watching the, the Derek Chauvin trial right now. You know, I, when, I, when I'm not doing this or that, I, you know, been watching. It's just that kind of stuff is super interesting to me, these different witnesses. But f when somebody's called as a witness, again, they don't need to know everything there is to know about the case, right? What are they called for? They're called for what they experienced, what they uh, witnessed, and, and how, you know, what, and the, and the truth as it has appeared to them. So as witnesses of Jesus... I don't know about you, but that just gives me confidence and faith that I don't have to know everything there is to know about all of the ins and outs of Christianity or all of the workings of God in the world. I just know what I know. I like like the one guy that says, I, "Here's what I know. I was blind and now I can see." You know, I, you know the the guys are trying to interrogate this this guy that Jesus healed, and he's like, "Look, I you know I don't know if he's this kind of Messiah or that kind of Messiah. I don't really understand the big picture. I just know I was blind and now I do you hear me?" You know, I couldn't see before. Now I can see. And all of us have those kinds of things that God has done in our life. I think Satan tries to blind us to those or, or make us forget those. But if you think back, there's something that God did in your life. That, that There's a reason that you're here today. It's because, wow, only God could have done this in my life. That was amazing. I was blind, but now I see. And, uh, you know, so we are his witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem in Judea and all Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is where he sent them. So for you today, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are sent as a witness. This isn't just for them. This is all of us. We are his witnesses. Where, you say? Well, where? I, I mean, well, think about it. Where have you been sent? Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your school. Uh, maybe it's your job, uh, your your work location. Uh do you even think that way? Do you believe that you've been sent as a witness into these places? Uh, for me, you know, I'm thinking about my neighborhood. I'm, I've been sent to this neighborhood that I live in. And uh, building friendships in this neighborhood, building relationships in this neighborhood. Some people have become Christians in this neighborhood. Other, other people have studied the Bible. Other people have become Christians and then given up their faith. But we still stay connected and hopefully they'll come back. But, but, I, but I, I want to always be thinking that way. I'm a witness here. I, I've been sent here to testify about Jesus in my neighborhood, even though I've been here a long time. I'm a witness to the soccer families, you know, that we're connected to through Chorus Soccer. I'm a witness to the music community of the South Bay. I want to figure out how to tap into that music community better. I, I, I started writing some songs that I could play, like in, in clubs and things like that, um, because, you know, I'm not going to go 
play in like a, a club in Redondo and play, you know, Great Among the Nations or Be With Me, Lord or something. It just doesn't, doesn't quite fit, you know. But So I wrote these songs that are very spiritual and they're a testimony to God, but they're something I could do in like a club. And, uh, you know, but then it hasn't happened yet to go do stuff like that. And when I say a club, I mean the, the right kind of club, okay? <laughs> it's just, I, I want to still be a Christian wherever it is I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing to. But, uh, but you know, I, I feel like I want to reach musicians. You know, I want to reach musicians for the gospel. It's so cool that Casey's here today. And Casey's an awesome musician that has become a Christian. We can witness to, to musicians together. And Ben is here. Ben's a musician. We can witness to musicians together. And why is Casey here? Well, Steve has been sent as a witness to the Steeler fan community. <laughs> and he completely believes that. You know, he wears his Steeler gear everywhere. Why? Because he just might happen to talk to somebody. I mean, there's, he's, he's thinking about it as a witness. I mean, he loves the Steelers, but he wears the Steeler gear because I might get a chance to talk to somebody. And that's why uh, Casey and Michelle are here today, right? Because God connected them together as Steve was a witness to, uh, to that community. So think about it for you. You. It's one person at a time. It's relational. It's just sharing your own testimony. But have you taken a step back in witnessing, especially during this last year? It's been a hard time. So as things are opening up or as we can have more connections, I want to challenge you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, to think about where has God sent you? After Easter, in this after Easter time, we're still all in. Where has God sent you to speak? And how will God empower you to speak into that community? Again, one person at a time. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to. Ha- you don't have the living water yourself. You just have to point to the living water, like the woman at the well who says, "Come meet the man who told me everything I ever did." Right? She's pointing to that Messiah, pointing to that man, or Jesus to the demon possessed man. What did he tell him? Go tell your family what God has done for you. That's that's all we ha- can do is just share our own testimony, share our own witness amen and this is again i want to say this is not just the apostles this is us today and and here's some evidence of that let's fast forward 30 years we're just gonna look at one more passage here before we go to communion uh second timothy one we'll fast forward 30 years so the gospel spreads um there's thousands and thousands of disciples everywhere as i mentioned there's all kinds of disciples in in, uh, in Alexandria and Egypt, and there's all kinds of disciples in Rome, and then there's all kinds of disciples in all these cities that were Paul plants churches, uh, all these major cities. Many thousands have, have come to follow Jesus. There's a lot of Jewish disciples initially, and then tons and tons of non-Jewish disciples. And Timothy is one of those, he's kind of in the middle because his father's not a Jew. Uh, his father's a Greek, but his mother is a Jew. So he, he's kind of raised up as a Jew, but he never was circumcised. So Paul circumcises him so because they're going to be sharing with a lot of Jews. And, and they travel together. He trains him. And then he leaves him. Uh, Timothy is now an evangelist for the church in Ephesus. So they spend a lot of time together, but now Timothy's on his own. And this is later in Paul's life, probably right before his death and somewhere maybe around 67 AD. Paul died for his faith. And he writes him this letter. And he says here, kind of at the beginning, we'll look at verse 7, 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I want to show you this passage because you see these same themes here, don't you? You see that, It's all about the Spirit, 
right? It's what the Spirit does in our life. It's not just about who we are in our own talent set. It's the Spirit that we're given and what that Spirit does, how He works in our life. And, and it's a matter of testimony, right? He uses that word in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony. So you see the Spirit and testimony working together. The Spirit makes us a witness. The Spirit helps us speak. The Spirit, it's all about Spirit-filled speaking. So Paul says, first, this is, the Spirit is not, uh, it doesn't make us timid, right? And the word there he uses, uh, deilia, it's, it's not used anywhere else in Scripture, but it's used in a lot of other Greek, ancient Greek texts. And it, it, it just means fearful or cowardly or, uh, you know, timid. It's, it's just, that's not the spirit we have that makes us shrink back or makes us afraid or makes us timid. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, we've all been there. We, you know, in our natural selves, we can tend to be fearful. We can tend to shrink back. We can tend to be doubtful, afraid. That's just who we are in our human nature. And there's been a lot that's happened in this last year that could make us afraid or timid or fearful. Uh, that's understandable, but I want to remind you, you have God's Spirit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have God's Spirit available to you to guide you, to give you boldness, to transform your life, to give you hope, faith, and confidence. The Spirit puts our security in the right place. Our hope is not in, in, in governments or empires or institutions or technologies. Our hope is in the resurrected Christ. I want to remind you of that. Uh, Cora's coach tells them, I'm here to reminder you. <laughs> he's from Brazil, so he's uh, English as a second language. So he says, I'm here to reminder you. And uh, I, you know, Paul here is remindering Tim. The Spirit is not timid. The Spirit makes you what? What does he say? Gives you power, love, and self-discipline. That could be a whole lesson right there, those three things, a three-point lesson. And I encourage you to think about that. How does the Spirit make you powerful? How does the Spirit uh, help you to love? How does the Spirit give you self-discipline? The word power is dunamis. It's, it's, it means change, right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Devin, Devin's our Greek expert here. Uh, but it, it's the same word that we use for dynamite, right? It's how much change is possible. And what does the Bible say? That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's available to every believer. And that's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. The one thing I want you to know, Ephesians, is how much power you have available to you. Satan wants to blind us to that and get us focused on, on human stuff instead of remembering the spiritual. Amen? Uh, love, the, the word love there is agape. We know that. It's will-directed. It's godly love. It's self-sacrificial love. And, 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 uh, and self-discipline. Uh, this word is, uh, I think I wrote it down. Do you know what it is, Devin? No, it's not my head. Sophronismos. Sound mind, moderation, self-control. In other words, the Spirit gives us power, but it's disciplined. It's focused. It's it's like Jesus, right? Jesus was was measured. He was controlled. He was in every situation. He provided just what was needed. That's the spirit that we have available, and we need to be reminded of of these things. In verse eight, he says, "Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God." You know, being a witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it might mean some suffering. It might mean some hardship. It might mean, you know, you put your heart out there for people 
and, and people don't thank you or they're not grateful. Or, you know, we have amazing servants in our church, amazing people. I appreciate the small group leaders who've held our church together and held these relationships together, these connections that help us to remember the Spirit and we can rem- be remindering each other you know, of all that we have in Christ. Uh, but, but sometimes it's a thankless job to be a small group leader. I want to say, every small group leader, thank you so much. And by the way, thank you so much, Toomey's, for doing the Kids' Kingdom every week. And thank you so much to uh, Gina for taking care of our young youth ministry and all that you've put into that. And thank you so much for, to the teen leaders, all, every one of the teen leaders that have, have, have sacrificed for our kids. But when you, when you give, when you serve, when you're a witness, sometimes it, it doesn't, you know, you, you can, you can ex, ex, expend your energy and it requires some suffering. So that's why we got to tap back into the spirit to be filled back up. Um, you know, being, being a witness might even involve um, some persecution, some ridicule, especially for our teens. You know, you're living a very different kind of life than is valued in the teen ministry. But maybe at your job or maybe at your school or maybe where you, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, people make fun of you because you're not going along with the crowd. You, you have a different uh, value system. Uh, even just the, the fact that we're, we're trying to focus on God and shunning idolatry, not looking to relationships for fulfillment, not looking to financial security for fulfillment, not trusting in these other things, but trusting in God, that can get hard. That can get difficult. It can be a, a form of suffering. But this suffering that we go through, any suffering we go through as a witness for, for Christ is so worth it. We're promised it is so worth it. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, any light and momentary troubles we go through for the gospel are far outweighed by the eternal glory that we have in store for us. It far outweighs them all. The, the word glory is like a weight. It's the weight of glory is so much more heavy than these light and momentary troubles that we go through. Jesus is our Savior, and, and we are his witnesses. That's why we do what we do. And so I want to remind you of that today in this after Easter period that we're all in, that God has given you his spirit to embolden you, uh, the, the, to, to speak boldly, you know, to, 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 to be used by him as a witness to testify. After Easter means spirit-filled speaking. So where are you today with this? Are, are you speaking boldly if you're a disciple? And you might not be a Christian yet. You might not be a disciple. And I want to call you to, to come along with us. Join us in, in following our risen Lord. We'd love to study the Bible with you. We'd love to connect uh, with you. We'd love to help you to to learn how to how to be baptized. We'd love to see you be baptized and, and learn what baptism is. Uh, there's a connect with us link in this uh, in this video description of this video, or just message us or talk to whoever told you about this this uh, service. And we'd just love to 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 show you more about Jesus. And uh, and the Spirit is given in baptism. It says in Acts two. That's how we get the gift of the Holy Spirit is when we're baptized. And so we'd love you to come along with us. But as we take communion together, as the 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 gathered community here. Uh, I want to key in on this, what comes next in this passage, 2 Timothy 1, where we just left off in verse 9. This is such a great communion passage that uh, I don't even want to say much about it. I'm just going to read it, and then I want to give you a moment just to sort of digest it before you take communion, before we pray. 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 12. Listen to this, and then I'm going to take a moment to, to just... Just kind of saturate in this verse before we pray. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. The scripture is going to stay on the screen for a few minutes, and uh, you can even pause the video with modern technology if you want. We'll keep moving ahead in real time. But uh, if you want to just meditate on this verse for a little bit before we share in communion together. God, we know it's not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of your amazing purpose and grace given us in Christ Jesus. And Father, we know that you hold the big things in your hands. You know, it says here that Christ was appointed for this purpose even before the beginning of time, whatever that means. But God, thank you that we are living in this after Easter period, that we have seen his glory, that he has been resurrected from the dead. He has destroyed the power of death. He has brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. And thank you that we can be a part of it, that we can be witnesses of that incredible gospel. Forgive us for focusing on these other lesser things that uh, you know can, can get our attention, but are, are so much less powerful than the gospel of Jesus. And help us to reconnect to that gospel as we share in his body and blood together. God, we trust you with our present. We trust you with our past and with our future. Uh, we declare Jesus' death until he comes. We proclaim his death until he comes as we share in his body and, bread to, body and blood together. Thank you for the sacrifice that he made so our sins could be forgiven. We could be made new and made holy. And uh, we look forward to the resurrection and to being together with you forever in the new heaven and new earth that you create. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 